consistent message by Paul uh, about understanding our benefits within our walk with God through this description of sons, of adopted sons or heirs of God. And, uh, of course, that doesn't leave out you ladies. Um, There uh, is plenty of evidence. We saw last week there's neither male nor female in that list. Um, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So don't feel like you're being left out because we're talking about sons. Um, But you won't hear me talk about daughters because the Bible doesn't. Um, And I believe that's purposeful. There's only really one passage in Scripture that talks about sisters and the Lord, daughters, and that's lateral in our relationship. With our relationship with God, we all want to be sons um, because the sons are heirs and the daughters aren't necessarily heirs. And so that is uh, an important distinction to make and don't think that's uh, just a sexist thing. Um, And again, like I tell you all the time, if that bothers you, uh, think of how we feel being the bride of Christ. Think how the guys feel being brides. So um, it's just an understanding of why those relationships are pulled out and used and not the other terminology. Um, it is very obvious that this is for males and females. And so I just wanted to include that there because of all of our oversensitized people thinking that they get left out if you don't mention them by name or by gender or by Any other uh, reference? So we're going to uh, look into chapter 4, building off of the idea of that you are the children of God uh, in verses uh, really all through chapter 3. And, and in the chapter 4, we've already studied a little bit of this. We talked about the law as our tutor and how um, it was there because we are children. And it uh, doesn't mean that we are slaves, but uh, we were slaves. And we're going to talk about that here very briefly Let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 8 and uh, read from verse 8 to verse 20 tonight and uh, get into our study. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, um, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Kind of a frightening conclusion there to our passage. Let's go Lord, in prayer before we get into our study. Lord, we thank you for your word before us, your spirit within us. We pray now that you might guide us in your truth, that uh, we might allow it to direct in our lives. And we thank you for your promises, that those that would ask of you will gladly receive wisdom. And we do pray that you might uh, uh, give us that, the wisdom of your truth, um, 
for uh, our lives and all those who trust in you as well as those that that need to come to repentance. And we uh, pray that you might help us be faithful uh, in your word tonight and faithful in living it as we leave here. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, out of the foundation of being sons and heirs, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 uh, describes... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, that we are, uh, even so, we, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. And this is going to be a term that Paul's going to pick up and use later on and reference it. And so let's talk a little bit about what it means to be bond, in bondage to the elements of the world. And he's already given us some idea of what he's referring to. He's referring to the externals, the elements of the world, things we can feel, touch, see, uh, and with our senses, those things in the world um, that we are held by. And he's talked about circumcision already. He's about to talk about the keeping of holidays, which holidays you're going to keep. And we're going to have to, it's interesting that comes up tonight. Um, we're going to discuss that a little bit. Not very much, but I think you guys are all on the same page with me on that one. Um, and then we're also going to... Uh, expose some other things of eating and drinking and all these facets that are really, you know, if we go into the law and we talk about, you know, here's how you need to wash and bathe and here's um, the cleanliness and uncleanliness and here's the, it's all about things in this world. It's all dealing with the elements of of the flesh, of the physical world. Um, And we recognize that that became a trap, a snare, and, and Paul's consistent in describing it as bondage, that we're, that we're so caught up with the physical, with the material things, with the, uh, this world's thing, we have really could very easily, and in fact for many Israelites it became that, uh, lose track of the spiritual. And this is what Judaizers do to us. This is what they do. We are so, oh, I've got to eat right, I've got to... You know, it's sundown on Friday night, so Sabbath has started. I can't do any work. It's all about things in this world. And we forget that those were all shadows. Those are all shadowy things. They are not reality. And that's what Colossians is going to really bring out uh, that uh, we're going to turn to here very quickly. Um, But he talks about the elements of this world, that they become a a bind to us, a, a trap, if you will, that can snare us, and we start thinking that that is the measure of my walk with God, is how I do all these external things. But what God is really interested in is in your heart. And he's looking for a heart that is surrendered. He's looking for a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He looks for a heart that, that seeks his truth. And he looks for a heart that is uh, willing to follow the Spirit. And that's really going to be drawn out uh, here as one of the primary evidences that you are, in fact, a child of God. And so we, we have this statement that you are children, and you are no longer, you were in bondage of the elements of the, of the world. And, of course, he's going to jump down later on. He's going to ask the question, why now are you going back to those same elements to be uh, confined by them. And so um, he goes back into their history a little bit and says, okay, let's go back to before you were believers. Um, before, we're not even going to talk about when they, we're going to talk way back before the Judaizers showed up um, and you didn't know God. You were serving 
false gods, um, and now, um, not by keeping the law, but by your faith in Jesus Christ, you know God and you are known to God. That is, you are in this very intimate relationship with God. And he asks the question in the middle of verse 9, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? You see the word there again. How is it you go back to that? Um, how do you desire to again be in bondage? Uh, how do you want to go back to your childhood? Now, to some degree, we all kind of like going back to childhood because there's very little responsibility there, right? But we also recognize that there's very little personal liberty there, um, that we have to do what we're told, we have to go to bed when we're told, we have to study when we're told, eat what we're told, and that's child. That's living as a child. And we see that and we recognize that, that um, for a mature person to go back into that, that there's something wrong there um, because you should have a desire to have some independence and to make those choices yourself. And, um, and when we find people that aren't interested in that, we think they have a psychological problem, <laughs> and rightly so. Uh, and so... He says, you're, you come out of childhood, you come into this intimate relationship, into a mature relationship. Why do you want to go back into the physical when you have this wonderful spiritual relationship with God? And the spiritual part of it, he's already described. We kind of skipped that too. Let's back up and see the spiritual. So instead of the elements of this world, our, the foundation of our relationship with God as sons is built upon the spiritual. And so he comes to verse... Um, Six, remember verse five, if you were received as the adoption of sons, um, you had to re- do that through Christ, not through the law. Verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so you come into this sonship not as, a, as an immature child, but rather as a mature child. And so there's a big difference between my parenting right now uh, versus my parenting uh, 10, 15 years ago, correct? My children are all adult. Um, I anticipate them making most of their decisions themselves. Uh, and so my, my role there isn't less intimate, but it is uh, not binding on them. And they recognize that. And they can ignore me to their peril. I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They can, they can make their choices, but they're going to have to live with those choices, but it doesn't diminish the intimacy of the relationship. It's still there. Uh, as long as we are both desiring to follow after God, uh, to live for him and in righteousness and truth. And so God says, all right, I want this mature relationship with you. And so out, you didn't achieve that under the law. That's not a mature relationship. That's, that's not the intimacy I wanted, and it's externals only. I want something internal. I want to work here. And so I'm going to send you my spirit. And so when you receive Christ as your Savior, um, with that you're receiving the spirit of God. And, and he is the one who is at work, the Bible says, with our spirit um, to declare us sons of God. Let's go to Romans 8. This is where Paul takes this idea and expands it. So let's go ahead and read that before we get a little bit farther along here and then have to get into Colossians. In Romans chapter 8, we have um, this description. Again, uh, we can 
picking up pretty early on. Um, let's start at verse 9. Uh, I could start even earlier the, because it talks about the spirit of life in Christ Jesus may be free from the law. Um, back there in verse 2. Let's pick up verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And we see that almost directly drawn out of Galatians, right? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And he goes on to talk about suffering um, and then he inserts the Spirit again. Look down verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know how to pray as we are. The Spirit makes intercession for us. He searches the heart, knows the mind in verse 27. Um, and he, it is through him that all things work together for our good. So we find this full description of the work of the Spirit that confirms us in the body of Christ. And, and when I engage people, I say, well, how do you know you're Christian? Well, I pray to a sinner's prayer. Well, um, that's a very immature answer. And it's kind of a scary one because um, there should be more evidence of that. You should be able to say, well, the Spirit leads me into his truth and into righteousness. And this is the, the evidence that we're in this relationship is because we, we have this desire after the truth. The Spirit is at work with our spirit, sometimes convicting sometimes comforting, always directing. And so the Spirit is there and active, and when you have an inactive spirit, um, boy, there's, and all you're saying is, I have the sinner's prayer back there, I think you are in a dangerous place. All right, and so he says, this isn't through the flesh, to live according to the flesh, this is according to the Spirit. And when we talk about the flesh in Romans 8, a lot of people say, well, that's about the flesh, the body of doing sin. But that's not really the context, is it? What's it talking about? It's about doing the law. The works of the flesh would be comparable to the elements of this world in Galatians. So the elements of this world that were engaged in trying to um, do this by means of keeping the law. And if you want to see that, you can back up uh, into that where he talks about that the righteous requirements of the law were accomplished. Um, that we walk in not in this flesh, but in the spirit. And so he's contrasting flesh that's equated with keeping the law, physical, which are the elements of this world, versus walking the spirit and the communion of the spirit that works with our spirit so that we know God is my father. Because I have this communion, this intimacy and um, it's a mature intimacy. It's not a bondage thing. It's a thing that I love him, and I want him. I want. I want him to be pleased. I want. I want to see his pleasure um, at my service to him. I want to be there and and maintain that intimacy. But 
not as a child, but as a mature heir, a son, um, one that is an asset and a benefit to him. Well, how is that measured? Um, Paul, again, measures it a couple of different ways. Uh, First of all, um, that we are putting to death the deeds of the body uh, and that we're living in the Spirit. So we're living a righteousness that's driven by the Spirit that makes the law irrelevant. Let's just put it out there. I mean, it makes the law irrelevant. Pick a law. Pick any law. And it becomes irrelevant if you're walking the Spirit of God. It's not relevant. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I would never do that. He's my dad. He's my father. He's the one I love. He's the one I serve. I'm not going to use one of the most precious things he gives us is his name. Why would I ever use it? Um, Because my heart is in a place that my speech, my language, certainly is going to be impacted by where my heart is at. And so I want to reverence God in my heart, and reverencing God is a spiritual act, um, and it will naturally keep that commandment. The commandment, well, of course I'm going to keep that commandment because I'm reverencing God. And this, Christ tries to raise the Pharisees to understand that you say don't do this, but I say don't do this. You get your righteousness to a whole new level because the law, any aspect of the law, can't make it happen. Um, And so the law is just a minimum that's sufficient to show you what a dirty, rotten sinner you are. Um, And so we're going to walk in the Spirit. We're going to strive after uh, a righteousness that is that makes the law uh, ridiculous. I'm, I'm not murdering anybody. Why? Because I'm not hating people. I want to reach them with the gospel of Christ. I'll die for them, but I'm not going to kill them. Um, commit adultery? No, I don't even want to look upon a woman to lust after her. I, I, I want to purge that from my life. Um, and these are the examples Christ gives and we can go through the covet things of this world. Why? It's all going to get burned up. <laughs> I have a hope for an eternity. I tolerate the things of this world. I don't desire after them. So coveting becomes. Why am I? Why would I be guilty of coveting? I don't even like this place. I have a home waiting for me in eternity. Uh, uh, my treasures are laid up in heaven. Uh, I have a spiritual interest not the physical and the material interests of this world. And so um, go through the commandments, um, including the, the laws of, of your body and, and the days of the year, what you're going to celebrate. Why is one day more important than another day? Do you get a pass on serving God any day of the year? Is there any day of the year that you get a pass on serving God? This is my day, not yours, God. No, I'm a child of God. I, I'm not his child six days a week. I'm not his child, you know, Christmas and Easter. I'm, I'm his child all the time. I don't want to pass. I, I, I want to serve him every day. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day. How does that happen? Well, it's a heart thing, not an external thing. And so we have these evidences uh, that the Spirit has worked that, that whereby we know we are the sons of God. And the final evidence that Paul uses here in Romans is our suffering that we associate with God, that uh, we're going to be willing to suffer for his name's sake, and that's what I point to already a little bit about dying, um, that we're prepared to do that if God demands that of us. Whatever he demands of us, I'm prepared to do it, no matter the cost to me. Um, and that is 
strong evidence that the Spirit is at work and that we are the sons of God because we are on these levels of, of service, of righteousness, and of intimacy. And so um, we come to uh, this idea that, all right, you've been known by God. Why do you want to go back? We're back in Galatians now, chapter 4. Um, so we have the Spirit of God in our hearts crying out, Abba, which is the Aramaic, Father, Father, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father. Um, he's crying this out in our hearts. That, um, and that can be, again, a two-edged sword, right? Because um, the Father can be either pleased or displeased, can't he, with us? And so um, we can either see it as an aspect of comfort, I'm your father. Oh, that's wonderful. And that relationship, that intimacy, and we can, but also, I'm your father, right? And now that has a demand. There's a demand of, of the uh, relationship that a true son, is, a loving son, is going to be obedient, is going to be uh, respectful, is going to honor, seek to bring glory to, uh, and fulfill uh, the pleasure of the father. And so um, the spirit calls out to our spirit. And there's that communion that we recognize, well, I'm a child of God because God doesn't leave me alone. He reminds me he's my father. Um, when I'm struggling, he comforts me. When I am wandering, he corrects me. And that's what a good dad does. And that's the evidence. I'm a child of God. Why? Because God doesn't leave me alone. He doesn't leave me alone in misery. He doesn't leave me alone in disobedience. And so I can rejoice in both comfort and correction and rebuke. I can rejoice in both those because both those are evidences that the Spirit is crying out to my spirit, Father, Father. He's your Father. Why are you acting like this? He's your Father. Why are you discouraged? He's your Father. Don't you think he'll take care of you? Look at the lilies. He'll take care of them. He'll take care of you. You know, he's your father. He, he, he fulfills his responsibilities. He's going to care for you. He said that he owns a cow on a thousand hills and he'll take care of you. Um, you can trust him. He is faithful. and rely- All those things come wrapped up in the spirit, um, engaging our spirit. Let's go to Colossians very quickly. Just, uh, I, I could go into Ephesians as well, but let's go to Colossians because he uses much the same terminology. Um, and the uh, ideas here. And uh, again, Paul is confronting and and wants to uh, make sure he addresses the idea of legalism that uh, in Colossae as well. And so the whole thing of Colossae is you're complete in Christ. You don't need anything more. Uh, Let's look at chapter 2 very quickly, verse 6. And this sounds very much like what we've been reading in Galatians, right? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. All right, so you came to this relationship with God through Christ Jesus, so persist in it. Um, don't, don't take one way. There's not one way to get to God, another way to stay in that relationship. No, it's the same thing. You walk by faith uh, in Christ Jesus. So what does that talk about? Let's jump down to verse 11. I'm still in chapter 2. It says, In him, as in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, 
by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, do you see those same themes? We talked about both of those in Galatians. We saw circumcision, and we talked about baptism. Both of those there in Galatians. And so, verse 13, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, that's a great little section there. It means, all right, so what? Christ did all this on the cross. So what? Let's find out. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore... If you died with Christ in the principles of this of the world, and again, the principles of the world would be comparable to what in Galatians? The elements of this world. All right, so if you've been put to death to the principles of this world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Don't touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Okay? And so um, you see the similarity of the language, how strongly these passages uh, correlate to each other. Uh, and Paul, over and over again to all these believers, wants to make it clear and understood. Um, you're sustaining yourself in your Christian walk is a spiritual endeavor. It is not externals that are going to determine that. Uh, and if we boil it down to those, we are going back to the law. We are, we are, that's not a step forward. <laughs> and that's fundamental to Galatians, right? Uh, and Colossians and Romans. Uh, you have this relationship in Christ. We're going to talk about the liberty we have in Christ when we get to chapter 6 in Galatians you have this intimate relationship where you're heirs, you're children of God. It happened by faith and not by your works. And now you want to go back. That's a step backwards. Why would you go back to, to defining the Christian life by this uh, bunch of rules of, well, I keep this holiday. Well, I keep this holiday. I worship on Saturday. Well, I worship on Sunday. Well, I worship on every day. Well, I keep the Jewish holidays. Well, I keep the Christian holiday. You know, I mean, where does it ever end? Well, there is no end once we start making it determined by all these external things. And, the, and again, the question isn't which festival are you keeping. The question is what's going on in your heart. The question isn't whether or not you have a tree in your house. We put up our tree this afternoon. I can't believe I did that on Sunday afternoon. I should have been taking a nap. It's all my wife's fault. But we did it. So there's a fake tree in our house. There's a fake tree out on our porch. And there are people that 
just adamant that that shouldn't be there. It's a pagan, pagan, pagan thing. Um, and how dare you do that? How dare you s- celebrate during a pagan period? Uh, it's obviously connected to the, uh, the winter solstice and the pagan rituals around that. And I just kind of look at him. I'm like, do you think that's what's going on in my heart? Do you think that's what I'm giving glory to in my interests? You know, and, and I try to spell out why do we have this tree of, of uh, evergreen, ever-living um, tree and put our ornaments on it and our lights and all the... I've shared that before, um, but that's what's going on in my heart. That's where why it's in my house. Um, if you can't put it in your house because to you all you see is pagan, 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 then don't put it up in your house. Okay? But that's a heart issue. And we start measuring each other by these externals of all this other things. We are taking a step backwards. That's the law. That's bondage. That's the elements of this world. And, and uh, I love people that want to and I've dealt with this pretty much my entire ministry in Rio Rancho, here, back in Ohio, of how can you ever use the word Christmas and Easter? Oh, don't ever use the word Easter. Um, and I'm like, why do you use the word Sunday? Are you worshiping the sun? What about Saturday? Are you worshiping Saturn? I don't like any of the names of the month or the days, but we use them. Because it's not about the externals, is it? It's not about all those ways. That's not how we measure it. It's about what's in your heart. And so, um, I worship God on the first day of the week that our society calls Sunday. I don't worship the sun in the sky, and 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 that's not what we're doing. And, and, um, and, we have the celebration of Christ's birth at this time, and, and it it's very possibly could correlate with it. Um, perhaps not. Maybe it's closer to the time the Magi arrived, and that's the probability, um, is that we're really celebrating the arrival of the Magi in Jerusalem, but that's, frankly, uh, when everybody in Israel started looking around, other than shepherds, because nobody was really looking for him until the Magi showed up and says, uh, where's the guy? Born king of the Jews. What? So whenever they arrived, and, and there's pretty strong evidence of what we're really celebrating is the arrival of the Magi, not the actual birth of Christ. Um, and so, uh, which could be separated by several months. Some people think years. I'm more of the weeks and months guy um, because I think Magi are pretty smart and a lot faster than we think. Um, <laughs> they can see it on the horizon. There's something coming. And... Um, could to enable them to be there closer to the period of the birth. But uh, why are we all caught up in all these externals? Why? Because it's false humility. It's false religion. It's religion. And it's not spiritual. And so we're not going to get bogged down into all of that. We are going to stay fresh in our relationship with God because it's on a spiritual level. And why are we going to worry about what do you eat and drink? What are you touching or tasting? What are you handling um, are you properly washed? Are you, are, I mean, where are you going to go with this? And, and I love how Paul uses the word, they're cheating you. 
Don't let these people cheat you. What are they cheating you of? Liberty. They're cheating. Treat. They are cheating you of the liberty to worship Christ in spirit and truth. They're bogging you down with the bondage of the elements of this world. I don't care what you want to call the days of the week or the months of the year. Uh, I just know that the first day of the week, I'm going to take time away to celebrate my Lord's resurrection. That's what I want to do. And I want to rest, not because I'm trying to keep a Sabbath law, but because I want to honor that he is my Lord, my master, my, my savior, um, that I am in the family of God because of him. And it's a small thing to do this. And, and, uh, uh, and he deserves so much more. And so we, we don't come to it from the external side. Um, we, we tend to do that because it's so, how do I want to say this, quantifiable there. It's measurable, right? It's easier to measure your church attendance than your heart attendance, isn't it? Joyce has a, Mrs. Wesley has a little book, and she can quantify your attendance. Um, but I got to tell you, there's plenty of people that have been in lots of services of this church that weren't there spiritually at all. They weren't there for the right reason. They were totally disinterested and disconnected from what was going on, and uh, they were there doing religion. Okay? And so, but for us humans, why are the elements of this world such an attractive way to measure the Christian life? Because they are measurable. We can see it, touch it, we can identify it, we can quantify it, we can, we can put it on a chart. I can't do that with your heart, can I? I can't do that with your spirit. I have to wait upon the Holy Spirit to do that with your spirit. And similarly with myself, it would be easy to quantify it all by those things. I mean, look, I haven't missed a service and whatever. And, and uh, you know, I can get real arrogant in that. That's why Paul talks about the false humility. It's false. You know, because they're really proud of the fact that they have all of these measurable ways of proving that they're a Christian when their heart isn't there. And the Pharisees were really good at that, were they not? That's what they were. I mean, every external evidence was, every I dotted, every T crossed, but their heart wasn't in it. Their heart was trying to find the loopholes in the law. So they could break the law even while they appear to be keeping it and justify themselves in the process. And so, Paul says, don't step back into that. You're the children of God. Don't step back in the elements of this world, the principles of this world. These are the, I wanted to show you different phrases that Paul uses that really are talking about the same thing. Don't go back into the law. So let's jump back to Galatians 4 and finish up tonight. Um, So we're not going to observe days, months, seasons, years. So we have a pretty wide gamut, right? We have circumcision, we have uh, what you're eating in Colossians, what you're touching in the Colossians. Um, we have the worship of angels there. We have all these other religious things. We have the idea of what day of the week you're, you're celebrating or keeping. Um, we have um, all these things. He just says, don't go back to that. Um, 
And really the, the thing he wants to pull out here is, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. And again, um, I think a genuine statement. I don't see this as a statement of hyperbole that he's trying to use here. I think it's a genuine statement that um, uh, you go back to there, you go back, you take that step backwards and you get caught into that and buy into that. Not that you every now and then get worked up over it, but if you truly buy into that, um, that uh, you are essentially rejecting the work of Christ. And is there any hope for you at that point? And again, your study in Hebrews shows that really that's a danger. Why put yourself in that fearful condition? Um, and so I love the term, the beggarly illness. Don't go back to those um, because um, it's a fearful condition to have your relationship with God thereby put in jeopardy. That is, your confidence in it is gone. And isn't that kind of a, a strange thing? So here's the Judaizers saying, with these external things, you're going to prove you're a child of Abraham. And they want to f- enforce those on them. And in the course of doing the very thing that they say is going to give you security, actually jeopardizes the security of your relationship with God. They're lying to you. That's why they're trying to cheat you with their philosophy and their false humility, their vain deceit. And so they, they sit there and say, oh, you have to prove it through this, or you have, to, you have to have all of this to have a complete salvation. And instead, um, if you really want to have a complete salvation, well, that happens on an entirely different level that has almost nothing to do with the beggarly elements of this world. Isn't that amazing? How do you know you're a child of God? Well, the Spirit of God strives with my spirit and tells me I'm his child by comforting me, by convicting me and correcting me, um, by directing me, by illuminating the word to me. Uh, This is how I know. And that's a lot better answer than, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 10. Or I got baptized when I was 11. Whole lot better answer. You just say, the Spirit of God keeps working in my heart. And um, He tells me I'm His child. And you know what the big problem with that is? I can't argue you, (laughs) can I? I can't look at you and say, well, prove it. (laughs) I can't. Well, I prove it by a righteousness that is higher than the law, and I prove it by a desire, a hunger and thirsting after righteousness, a desire for the truth, and walking in the Spirit. And some of those can be quantifiable, but we dare not insist there because there's a, 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 a place of liberty that counterbalances that. And 
Um, because there are people that will not darken this place because I use the word Christmas or because there's a tree out there. They will never come in these doors. And so they've made that the measure of who's true and who's not true. Well, that's not what's in my heart. Right? And so you guys know the heart because you've been here and you've heard enough of it. Um, But it's, uh, and so the balance point comes in that spiritual state and the spirit is the one. The Holy Spirit is the one who affects that. And so um, we have James, we have 1 John, um, and they are very necessary and important, um, but they cannot interject themselves as the means of God's grace. It is Christ alone that you sang earlier tonight. Christ alone. Okay, let's have a prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and the time we spend in it. And Lord, we just thank you for your spirit. What a precious gift you've given to us that we don't have to go to others and ask if we are good enough or showing enough evidence that we are believers or that we are in your family, but you have given us his presence to work in our hearts and to uh, let us know that you're our father. Lord, thank you for his comfort and his direction, his illumination, but also for his rebuke and correction. And, and uh, Lord, our prayers that we might be careful not to diminish his role by resisting him, by quenching him. And Lord, we uh, pray that we might be uh, ever attentive, that we might have a confidence in our relationship with you and walk in the light as you are in the light. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.